Good morning. It's great to see you. Um, I'm Connor, and this is Kim, and uh, we are very excited. Uh, we've been excited for a while, and then we went through a wave of nervousness, and now I think we're back to excited uh, to open the scriptures with you today. Uh, we, this isn't a totally normal thing for us, but we're getting better at it. You're number two, so you should get better than the nine o'clock, hopefully. And uh, yeah, so thanks for, thanks for being here. We're excited to get into this. Um, we've been in this series that we've been calling The Story. And for the summer, we've been kind of looking at the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is kind of classified as wisdom literature in the Bible, uh, wisdom for wise living. Kind of one way we've been talking about it is it's a blueprint for the good life that God intended for us. So it's this collection of sayings, of maxims, um, some of it's poetry, and it, and it all gets at kind of practical um, uh, principles for living. And some are, some are really practical, like don't eat too much sweet stuff or you might puke. And some, and some of it is also really kind of deep and insightful and takes a little bit to digest. Let me just read you this one because this is like, this is, I thought about this for a while. This is Proverbs 26. It says, like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and then says, I was only joking. <laughs> Ooh. It's pretty good from the, for, that's a good youth kind of student yeah. pastor yes. verse to remember? Yeah, yeah I just screaming at him after they... <laughs> yeah, uh, so that's Proverbs, and we're excited to get into it. Um, Proverbs, for me, the association is, like, really closely tied to my dad. And, um, and a lot of my childhood, I remember, if I ever woke up early enough to kind of catch my dad reading his Bible, um, I, I'd ask him, you know, what are you reading? And, and it felt like it was always... Proverbs. So Proverbs is a very fatherly book to me, right? And, it, and I remember kind of asking him what he's reading, and he'd kind of bring me alongside, and, and he'd kind of try to explain a verse like that to me, and I'd kind of nod along like, okay, well, I'm tired, whatever. Um, and, and so I didn't always get it, but I knew it was meaningful to my dad, and I watched it shape my dad. Um, and so I have a fondness for it, and it's been cool, I think, in this series to actually... Um, kind of pick up on some of those same things that were really shaping for my dad and let them shape me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's Connor. For Connor, it reminds him of his dad, but for me, it reminds me of my mom. When my brother and I were in middle school, my mom began the um, kind of habit and discipline with us of getting us up early and reading to us a chapter a day of the Proverbs and a chapter a day of the Psalms. And Proverbs, that's a really, really convenient and easy, accessible scripture to to engage with. Um, And also, there's 31 chapters, so it works pretty good if you're doing you know, a chapter a day. My brother and I fought her on that, and we made her life. I can't believe she she kept doing it. We, We fought her so hard. But... God has used it in such powerful ways with me because she was giving me the gift of wisdom, the gift of how to look at life and how to engage with life. And God has used that throughout my life. There's such um, clear principles, but also really vivid imagery like Connor just read. And that has been just just a, a really neat thing throughout the years to to think about Proverbs when I'm in life situations because they were so accessible to me as a middle schooler. Um, Connor talked about how they're a blueprint for what God intended for our lives, which in, in it's they're really general, right? If, if you do this, then your life 
should go this way. It will likely go this way. We know that for many of us in this room that that is not always true. It's not always true for everyone, but in general, these are in general principles for us. And they're really God's gift of wisdom, and they're through a man, King Solomon, who asked for wisdom, and he, he wrote it down uh, to give to us. One of the things I love about the Proverbs as we've been talking about them, as we've been in the series, is just this idea of they're really an amazing equalizer for us, are, for us all, because it doesn't require a pedigree to get them. It doesn't require you have to come from generations and legacy of certain type of family to be a late, you know, to be a wise person. But it's really something for any of us in this room, no matter what your background is, no matter what your education is, what your economic situation is, this wisdom is available for all of us. I love that. What a gift it is. Yeah. Yeah, we've, over the last few weeks, we've been kind of exploring the wide variety of what the Proverbs cover. And um, Tim took the easy ones the last couple of weeks, talked about adultery and money. Um, and uh, so I'm grateful for him. Um, but I love the book because it, it gets into kind of the nitty gritty of life as well as kind of these big overarching principles. It talks about parenting. It talks about relationships. It talks about um, our hearts and our, our pride. And um, today, what we want to do is kind of examine um, another repeated theme throughout the Proverbs that's kind of uh, put together in this character. It looks at kind of this character called the sluggard. The sluggard, okay? And I, I don't know about you. Uh, it, I spend a lot of my life like just kind of wondering, like, am I, am I living rightly? Is there a way that I could know for sure that this is what God wants for me? Is there, is there a way that I could know for sure this is my purpose, this is my direction? Is, if only it was written down somewhere for me to know. So open your Bible to Proverbs 26. <laughs> 26, okay? Uh, the sluggard, right? Proverbs 26, starting verse 13, says this. A sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Good picture, right? We don't use this word sluggard a lot, but we kind of get it, even from just reading briefly about it. Um, sluggard, I think it's kind of uh, onomatopoeia, is that right? Where it sounds like what it is, like it's slow, sluggish, dragging. Uh, the sluggard probably epitomizes what we might refer to like as a lazy person, um, someone who lacks motivation, who doesn't follow through on their responsibilities, has trouble finishing or starting uh, projects, someone who maybe spends too much time on the couch or in their bed or watching Netflix. Or do, you do you have somebody that's coming to mind? Is there somebody in your head right now maybe, right? Okay, heart check number one. Heart check number two, your face might be showing up in someone else's head at this moment, huh? Huh? Maybe. Here's the deal. I think, I think laziness is tricky because we're all really familiar with it, but we're probably most easily, we most easily identify it when it's in somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to own for myself. I think culturally, like, we really fight laziness, uh, and it's way easier to call out any other person, right? It is, and um, for some of us, individuals' minds are maybe popping into our heads as we, as we hear that word, and it's hard, it's hard to put the lens on our own lives, easier to put the lens on somebody else's face who's popping up there. But um, the other way that we, you know, we have the gift of being a multi-generational church, and it's such a beautiful, I mean, looking out here, what a beautiful picture it is. 
Um, but we also know that culturally, it's easy to put that um, maybe image on generations, right? It's easy to go, oh, that generation. Wouldn't it be amazing if there was a situation where a generation was saying, look at that generation that came after us. They are so hardworking, but I don't think that's happened yet in the history of the world, has it? <laughs> so Connor and I, we were, as we were um, preparing for this and thinking about it, we, we came across a couple of memes that we thought were funny we wanted to show you. So the first one is, uh, this is Old Economy Steve. And this is um, probably for, for, the, for the millennials in the room and maybe even some Gen Xers. Uh, well, when I was in college, my summer job paid the tuition. Tuition was $400. <laughs> this next one is probably like the opposite, which is a little, cuts a little too close to home. I'm 20 years old and I deserve to be the CEO already. Right? <laughs> you know a young person like that? Somebody came up to me after the first service and they said that when they saw that one, that the, what, the, an old adage, not from here, but popped into their mind that was, uh, the only place that you can start from the top is building a hole or digging a hole. The only place you can start from the top is digging a hole. This is smart, right? <laughs> so we need... As individuals and as a church family living uh, on mission for Jesus in our city, we need a better lens for this. What we need a better lens for what the sluggard, who the sluggard is, and for the times that it's ourselves, and and then also a lens for for what it looks like to be a diligent person. So Scripture contrasts the sluggard with the diligent. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to build kind of a sur- take a survey of the Book of Proverbs and look at what describes a sluggard-like person, what describes a diligent-like person, believing that we, we kind of need a lens outside of ourselves if we're going to subscribe to God's wisdom. So um, we're going to start with, with the verse we already read, Proverbs twenty-six thirteen. A sluggard says there is a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. Um, the principle on this one is that a sluggard is somebody who makes excuses, right? There's probably not actually a line in the road at all times, right? We I did fact to, check that. We did fact check, Because yeah. we didn't know, you know, biblical times Who and knows? Stuff. Yeah, yeah. But maybe, maybe a Portland example would be like, there's no way I'm driving downtown. The river is probably flooded. Like, it's always <laughs> flooded, right? Or uh, I'm, I'm not going to open my front door today. There's probably always only going to be naked people riding their bikes in my front yard. Or it's likely. Yard. That right. one's likely. Likely, yeah. <laughs> so the, the, it's, it's an extreme excuse, uh, a real possibility, but the extreme excuse is employed by the lazy person uh, mm-hmm. so that they don't have to take on their responsibility. Mm-hmm. Oof. The um, scripture, this one just is one of the ones that has just stuck in my head from when my mom read it to us um, in in middle school. And it's Proverbs 6, 6 to 11. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Simple, right? (laughs) How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. I have been walking around the office all week saying, go to the ant, you sluggard. (laughs) Just because it's so fun to say. Burn, burn, (laughs) burn. But 
Um, what we see here is this picture of the sluggard, and the sluggard is not self-motivated. So I don't know about you, but I don't think of myself as a sluggard, but there's a lot of things I intend to do that I sometimes don't do, mm. often don't do. The other, the other thing that we see is that um, the sluggard's extreme laziness leads to poverty, um, in contrast, the diligent, we see uh, that the, the diligent person is a self-starter. And because of that, they are able to, to do what they need to do when it needs to be done, and then they're ready for the next season. Mm-hmm. That is like so many things I could apply that to in my own mm-hmm. life. Like, if I did this, then I would be ready for that. Um, so uh, the diligent person is a self-starter, and they ter- take care of what, what's needed, and they plan for the future. Mm-hmm. And they don't need a boss or an overseer or somebody telling them, do this. They, they do what needs to be done. They yeah. take initiative and take action. Yeah. Proverbs 12, verse 11. Those who work their land will have abundant food. But those who chase fantasies have no sense. The sluggard is, is someone who lives in fantasy, who is not rooted in the here and now or what's in front of them. This, this one uh, stings a little bit, I think, because uh, how often do I catch myself uh, dreaming or fantasizing about somebody else's house or somebody else's job or somebody else's dog that is so much better than the dog I don't have. <laughs> or, and I mean, if, if you're my age or older or younger and you have Instagram on your phone, like this is like the, the, the ultimate fantasy at your fingertips, right? You can scroll and, and look at other people's lives that are in contrast to yours. And that's dangerous, right? Uh, those who chase fantasies have no sense. By contrast, the diligent plans and works in reality. And, and the result, the fruit of living and working in reality, of owning what's on your plate, is that you have enough. It even says abundant food, like you have enough. And, um, and it's rooted in you know what is yours to do, and you're not concerned with the other person. Yeah, for Connor, it's Instagram. For me, it's Pinterest. <laughs> so if you could see my Pinterest search bar this last week, um, my husband and I are moving in about a month, and um, I can't tell you how much time I have spent. I, sh- I don't want to tell you, um, and, but I-, I have spent an inordinate amount of time, and at the same time, like, dinner time happens, and I'm like... I fed you guys yesterday. Like, what are we doing here? We already had dinner. So that time that I've spent applying to dreaming about the house also, like just that diligence of um, I'm living life in fantasy land on Pinterest when in reality people in my house that I care about and that I love also need to know what's for dinner. So (laughs) Proverbs 12, 24, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. So uh, what we see with the sluggard is that if you're not diligent with the things that God has given you, you end up probably living a life that's really hard and painful. And if you are diligent with the things that God has given you, you actually grow in your influence and authority with those things. Mm, Yeah. Proverbs 13, verse 4. A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. The sluggard is greedy, 
Um, the sluggard never gets their fill. When I think about this, I think uh, I grew up in a house of three boys. I'm the oldest of three. And, and uh, my parents did the right thing. And like snack food in our house was apples and maybe pretzels, but never like cookies or chips or candy. And, and so any time on the rare occasion that that thing actually made it in the door, if it was a box of little Debbie's snacks or something, right? Um, it was like a mad dash. Luckily, I was bigger, so I just pushed the other two away and um, consumed quickly. But it, but it was like my, my appetite was never satisfied because the thing that I was craving was kind of worthless, like was not nutritious, did not fill me up. Um, that's that's kind of the, the picture I get here. But the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. I think at the, at the root of things, like that's what I'm looking for satisfaction. I'm not looking for the thrill. I'm not looking for just a, another sweet treat, but I'm looking for satisfaction. And in, and in practicing diligence, you get the desire of your heart, which is mm-hmm. satisfaction. It's pretty cool. Uh, Proverbs 21 25 to 26, the craving, speaking of little Debbie, (laughs) the craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. Oh man, I hear that. And which person do I want? Do I want to be a person that craves more or do I want to be a person who has the freedom to give? Mm. Um, We see that the sluggard is selfish and envious. When I think of a lazy person, I'm not sure those are the words that I have thought of in the past, but we can see here that that's one of the characteristics that they want stuff that they don't have, Mm. that they're selfish with the stuff that they do have, um, and that they're a slave to their cravings. Whereas the diligent person or the righteous person, the person who's living into what God has for stewarding what, what he's given us, um, is able to be generous and give to others. Yeah. So let's just look back at our list for a moment. Um, the, God's word says that the sluggard is someone who makes excuses, is not self-motivated, their extreme laziness points them to poverty. They live in fantasy, they become enslaved, they're greedy, selfish, envious. And by contrast, the diligent, they they self-start, they plan and work in reality, they know what's theirs to do, they have enough, they grow in their influence and their authority, and they end up satisfied and with the freedom to be generous. That sounds pretty good. Like, I'd be surprised if we're arguing which is better in this sense. And it's just cool that God's wisdom makes it so clear. Yes, yes. Um, Another person talked to me after the first gathering, and they said... um, Diligence is actually, they've, as they've reflected on the, on the scripture, that diligence is actually a state of being and not a state of doing. And I love that because um, we've heard what laziness is and we've heard what diligence is, but we haven't heard what diligence isn't. And I think that's really important to us culturally to talk about because we live and work in a place that really values the workplace and how much time and energy and work you give to it. And we get a lot of false identity out of that if, if, we're, if we're honest with ourselves. So um, diligence is not working ourselves to the bone. It's not filling every minute of time. And it's not being busy for busyness sake. So I know there's some of us in here probably who hear the word Laziness, and maybe they sit up a little bit straighter and feel a little guilty about the break they took last night to watch a movie instead of 
fold laundry. And that's not what this is actually talking about. But there's also those of us in the room who maybe heard Netflix ask the question, are you still watching? Four or five times yesterday. So there's, there's something in the middle there. And one of the things we see in scripture is to live the good life and to live just the full life that God has designed for us, that there's actually healthy rhythms of both work and rest, and that those take place not just in our workplaces and in our jobs, they take place in our home lives, they take places with the relationships that we have, Um, they take places with our church community and with our community around us, that diligence is a state of being and how we interact with the world around us. Mm, Yeah, that's good. Uh, the call to diligence is really opting into God's good life for us. I, th- I think that's such a good lens to let God's wisdom read all the parts of us because it's not just our traditional nine to five working hours that God is interested in shaping and cultivating to look more like him. It's every area of our thoughts, our minds, our hearts, our bodies. As, as we choose to do the things diligent people do, the, the actions, the habits, the practic- practices of the diligent we become more like Jesus, right? I, I like the definition I heard of discipleship is to know Jesus, to become like him, and then to do the things he did, right? And so there, there's this opportunity with living diligently where it will actually, sh- through our behaviors and practices, shape our character. And I, I love the practicality of that because sometimes it can feel like, well, if I'm not a diligent person, where do I start? Mm-hmm. And if you start, you become like Jesus. And I think that's a good promise. Um, I, we want to take a minute just to, just to highlight what if, like what if we became a people marked by diligence? What would God do in us? What is the kind of opportunity or the promises that God um, speaks back to us? And what, what could we gain if we chose lives of diligence. I think, firstly, um, personally, we, we would maintain, have and maintain a, a consistent sense of who we are and, and what our purpose is, right? I think those are, those are basic questions of human existence, of, of what was I made for, who do I belong to, and when we are diligent, we're not living in fantasy. We're rooted in what God has given, put on our plate to do and to be. Um, in, in relationship with God, we know who we are. We know that we're his kids. And, and through being his, his children, we gain purpose and identity. And even if we look at the life of Jesus, so often like uh, people are confused by him because he was just kind of oblivious to distraction sometimes. He was so eyes on the prize, set in what he knew he was going to do, that everything else kind of faded away. And as we live lives of diligence, we gain that same focus and purpose um, that I think Jesus had. Mm-hmm. We also find that we're, we're satisfied in our heart and our body and our mind because we're looking not at what somebody else has, not with um, selfish or envious eyes, but we're looking at, God, what have you given me? Mm-hmm. And how am I being diligent? How am I being diligent with my family, with my um, friends, with my relationships, with, with my workplace, with my home life? How, and, and through that, we're really taking into account what God has actually given us. And we're living, living into the fullness of that. Not what could be, maybe not even what should be, but what is and how we can invite Jesus' presence into all of those things. Yeah. Thirdly, personally, we move into maturity, right? Our behavior shape our habits, shape our character. Uh, Kim, you said this week that, that character is wisdom applied. I thought that was good. That was really good. Um, when we choose to complete the hard tasks of 
showing up on time, of doing the things we say we will, um, of being consistent, of being honest, of being people of integrity, we become diligent, but we become Christ-like, we become mature. And those are the kind of people who are kind of aroma to people around mm-hmm. them too, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of puts it, pushes us into applying diligence. What's the impact of diligence even beyond ourselves mm-hmm. to socially, what kind of impact does it make? Right, if there is a personal impact of, of diligence that I am satisfied because I know what's mine and I know how to be diligent with it, that also benefits the people around me because maybe for me in my home when I look at this, it is I have I take the time to meal plan and then the people know, the people in my own home are cared for and know what's for dinner. Uh, the other one is our neighbors. When we're diligent with our surroundings, it's good for our neighbors. For this, um, my we have raspberry bushes on the side of our house, and they are out of control. They like those things go crazy. So um, we have a neighbor who's selling their house, and we know that our raspberries aren't doing them any favors. So my husband is out there. He, my husband, works hard. Um, at both his work and our home. And then he also is out there trying to um, wrangle down and cut down these raspberry bushes for the neighbors. So we know that diligence impacts the people we live with and are close to, the people, our neighbors, and then also our community. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about diligence, this is like so present because it was yesterday. But uh, I, I was pretty proud of myself for how diligent I was being. I took on this project and I, I decided I was going to deep clean uh, my bicycle that I ride every day. And, um, and so I was in it. I probably spent like two and a half hours cleaning my bicycle. And, and Chloe and I uh, were, were walking later in the evening, and she was asking me about this morning what I was teaching on. And she's like, oh, yeah, you were really diligent with that project you wanted to do. You were not so diligent with the bathroom that I asked you to clean last <laughs> week, right? So there, there's this... Uh, <laughs> The practicality of that hits home, right? Where, where it's not just about me becoming diligent, it's about me becoming diligent to then uh, bless and take care of the people mm-hmm. around me. Um, we, when we're diligent, we gain the margin and the freedom we need to be generous and being creative. If I'm constantly putting out fires or only attending to like the urgent things, I lose capacity to, to bless my family, to bless my neighborhood, to, to even think about kind of Jesus's lens for my city or the world. And, and, but when I'm diligent, when things are taken care of in a timely manner, all of a sudden I have kind of the ultimate resource, which is time. Um, to invest in people around me, to, to dream, to think like Jesus in the world. And so, so we can't miss that, that, that the opportunity to become diligent actually pushes us to be more of who we're created to be, to be creative and generous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in that, it also shows Jesus to the world around us because we live in a culture that is marked by selfishness, that's marked by striving, it's marked by entitlement, and that's why there's a ton of memes and jokes out there about that, but we get to live counterculturally. We get to live, um, Connor and I've been kind of substituting out in our conversations the good life with the God life. And when we live out that good life that, that God is inviting us to, it actually shows him and shows who he is to the world around us. We talked earlier about how scripture, when Connor made that joke about, um, wouldn't it be so great if there was some kind of a manual that showed me how to live and do the right thing? And then we said, open your Bibles. But it's a miracle that we have this, and there's such 
I think affection in this, Connor and I both have had parents who our memories of our, is of our parents, Connor, his dad, and for me, my mom. But I think that's the posture that I, I see Jesus taking with us here. There is this um, heavenly father that is saying, I want to show you the way. Like, I want to show my kids, like, don't, don't do that. Do this instead. It's going to go better for you if you do that. And that's what God is giving us the opportunity to do, to not just take these principles and read them and know them, but also to give him the space to show us where that actually applies in our own lives. Because I think this applies to all of us here in some way, probably in different ways. So we, um, we know that we hear from God in scripture and also that the Holy Spirit is talking to us. And so we wanna take time to even be diligent about listening to the Holy Spirit and giving him space to examine us. Um, my kids, I talk with my kids, I use the picture with my kids of their heart. Your heart is like a garden. And when you, you have to give the Holy Spirit room to, to weed out the things that are not good and that are keeping you from Jesus because those things are going to, cho- weeds choke the life out of a garden. And so we want to take time every day to, to search and examine, to give God that access to our hearts. And we're going to do that today. Psalm 139, 23 to 24 says, search me God and know my heart. Don't just see how much I know in my head, but see, search my heart. Mm-hmm. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is an invitation. God wants life for us. That's his plan. He wants life for me. He wants life for you. He wants life for the world around us. And his invitation is not just to the good life, but it's to the everlasting life. Yeah. I think the grace of Jesus is that we get to do this in partnership with him. Mm-hmm. We don't um, have to get ourselves all right before we let God shape who we are. And just we want to point you to a few questions that um, have, been, have been challenging to me as we've kind of talked about diligence, but just some things to kind of mull on to let um, read us a little bit. Um, so this put this list of questions up um, for reflection. Do people around me know God because of my character? because of the way I live? What do my habits with my time, my work, my rest indicate about the God that I love? Do I live my life, do I live my life like I believe that everything I have belongs to God? And what am I reflecting in my relationships, in my work, with my resources, at home, is diligence shaping me in a way that's noticeable to others where people see the character of God in me? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take some time to reflect on these questions. And if you would just invite the Holy Spirit to, to take the words and the principles that we've learned and then to, to weed the garden for you, to show you the things in your life that are keeping you from the, the good life, that are keeping us from the good life. And then we're going to have the opportunity to come to these tables And to remember that it's because of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus that we can do this, that we can live into the life that he has to us and that we have the grace for the times that we don't and that the Holy Spirit equips us and empowers us for for the other times to live like we do. So will you pray with me? Jesus, we are so thankful for for your words. We're so thankful for scripture. 
um, like Connor has talked about, the, the lens, the mirror, that it is for us the, the um, searchlight even uh, for the ways that, that you give us a manual for, for the life that you have for us. And, and Spirit, we ask, we want to invite you in this time to come and to show us the things in, in us that are, are really choking the true life, the good life out, and that are, are keeping us from the everlasting life, the good life. Jesus, we are so thankful for you. We're so thankful for your life that you live, that you lived it perfectly because we can't, that you died in our place, and that, Jesus, you're alive today, and that, Spirit, you counsel us, you comfort us, you equip us, and you empower us to live as your sent people here not just for our own sake, but for the sake of the world around us. Would you help us be diligent people, diligently stewarding the things that you've given us for your glory and for your fame, God. We ask this in your name. Amen.